This conference will now be recorded. I'm going to go back slightly because someone's just started the recording quite rightly. Each week, a number of presenters will present on the step in question. There will then be room for questions and answers plus discussion. The sessions will last an hour or so. During each session, send the organisers any questions you have using the chat function. We're recording this session. Audio recordings of the workshop plus written materials are made available at the workshop blog. Links are posted during the meeting. Today, we're examining step five. I'll start off by giving a formal presentation of my understanding of the step. There will then be other speakers who will go into more detail about how their experiences inform their understanding of the step. Um, there are some people, a couple of people joined I'm not able to mute you and there's background noise. I'm going to have to boot you out of the meeting because of the background noise. Please try and join, uh, maybe just rejoin and see if uh, the audio is connected. I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to have to um, remove you now. Right, there's some background noise. I can't work out where it's coming from. Everyone appears to be muted from my point of view. If, if you can double check you're muted from your point of view, that would be super helpful. Thank you. So uh, I'm gonna switch to the uh, screen now, if you'll just bear with me. And the other organizers, if you can keep an eye on the mute all button and just keep, uh, Remuting non-organizers. That would be that'd be very, very helpful. Thank you. So uh, this is all from the big book. We're on page, oh, what is it? 72, if you have your big book to hand. Now, as usual, the blue bits on the page are the book, and the black bits on the page are my comments. They're just my comments, that's all they are. There's no authority there. I've been in AA for 27 years. I've got a lot of experience with. Alanon as well. This is just my experience of the step to date. If it's useful, great. Uh, but it's not the last word on anything. So having made our personal inventory, what shall we do about it? We've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator and to discover the obstacles in our path. Now, I always find this very, very interesting. Uh, if you ask someone in recovery, why are you doing your inventory? They'll say something like, well, my, my sponsor is what I used to say, and I've heard many other people say, I'm doing it because my sponsor told me to, or I'm doing it because that's what the steps say to do, or I'm doing it because I'm unhappy and I want to be happy. Uh, I'm doing it because my life is unmanageable. I'm doing it because they keep drinking or whatever. And it says here, something entirely different. We've been trying to get a new attitude. Well, I don't like that at all. A new relationship with our creator. Well, I like that even less. And discover to discover the obstacles in our path. Uh, the obstacles in our path, um, that's not other people. Other people are not the obstacles here. <laughs> if we've learned anything so far in this process, it is it is that the other people are not the problem. And so looking at what this new attitude is and the new relationship with our creator, um, uh, I think from people I've known in the non-fellowships, there are a couple of, I think there's a basic division in uh, between people who shrink back and people who take charge. Uh, I've been both, largely I'm a taker charge and full of lists, full of plans, very organized, very efficient. I know exactly what everyone else ought to do according to my anonic ego. And what this process is about is saying, no, 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 no. It's all backwards. Uh, I'm just here to do the higher powers will. Maybe that will involve being effective and efficient and organized in an area, but not on my account, on the higher powers account. So that's what this is about. And what are the obstacles in my path? The, the only obstacle in my path is me 
but not the essence of me. There's nothing wrong with the essence of me. There's something wrong with, well, three things. This is, I find very helpful to remember. My character defects are false beliefs, false thinking, and false behavior. Those are the obstacles. Um, We've admitted certain defects. We've ascertained in a rough way what the trouble is. We have put our finger on the weak items in our personal inventory. Now these are about to be cast out. And I think one of the points I'd, I'd make on this, uh, what I'm saying will not necessarily correspond to the black bits on the page. They're just notes for later. Um, you'll be able to access those on the blog, the link to which I'll be posting later. Um, the point about these character defects is, I mean, I, I've always found it difficult in meetings when people say, well, you know, anxiety and depression and unhappiness and well, at least they don't go away, but at least I have somewhere to come and talk about it. Now, that's better than nothing. It's better than sitting at sitting in a room on your own looking at yourself with your anxiety and your depression and your unhappiness so it's it's marginally better to have somewhere to go and get relief but honestly if i had to spend the rest of my life putting up with misery but having somewhere to go to share about it i i don't think i'd bother honestly i've got better better things to do you know i wouldn't be i'd be on another planet by now um i'd be in another transmigration of my soul who knows what but i wouldn't be here if that's all that was on offer, cast out. Um, and we're casting out two things. We're casting out um, defects of character, which I've talked about in dark crannies of the past. We'll come to that later on. These are the two elements, defects of character that say what, what my mistakes are um, and uh, the secrets. This requires action on our part, which when completed will mean we've admitted to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our defects. This brings us to the fifth step in the program of recovery mentioned in the preceding chapter. Um, and here's the thing. I don't know how, but when I admit something to another human being, the fact that I've admitted it to God becomes a psychic or spiritual reality. You can admit stuff to God all you like, but I don't know about you. It doesn't seem to cost me very much to admit it to God. It's mildly embarrassing. You admit it to someone else. It's super embarrassing. Now, when I admit something to God on my own, it looks just the same as the moment before I admitted it to God. When I admit something to someone else, once they're looking at it, even without them saying anything, it looks different even from my point of view. Something changes when I admit it to another person. This is perhaps difficult, especially discussing our defects with another person. We think we will have done well enough at admitting these things to ourselves. There is doubt about that. In actual practice, we usually find a solitary self-appraisal insufficient. Many of us thought it necessary to go much further. We will, we will be more reconciled to discussing ourselves with another person when we see good reasons why we should do so. The best reason first, if we skip this vital step, we may not overcome drinking. Time after time, newcomers have tried to keep to themselves certain facts about their lives. Trying to avoid this humbling experience, they have turned to easier methods. Almost invariably, they got drunk. Having persevered with the rest of the program, they wondered why they fell. We think the reason is that they never completed their house cleaning. They took inventory all right, but hung on to some of the worst items in stock. They only thought they'd lost their egoism and fear. They only thought they had humbled themselves but they had not learned enough of humility, fearlessness and honesty in the sense we find it necessary until they told someone else all their life story. Um, now, there are a couple of points here. Uh, if you happen to be an alcoholic or a drug addict or a food addict or something else, some, some, some substance addiction or even a process addiction, if you've got that going on, my experience is whilst I'm trying to hide my defects and hide my secrets, I'm going to go back to the easier relief of alcohol. The question with the Anons is, well, how is this relevant to us? You know, we're either totally sober already um, 
or we don't need to get sober or whatever. But, you know, relapse, it's not actually an issue. Well, from an anon point of view, I mean, having been sober a long time, I mean, all day is a long time. But anyway, having been sober a long time, um, I notice really persistent character defects sometimes. And when I try to get rid of them without talking about them, they don't go. I don't understand how and why talking about them, admitting, well, not so much talking about them, admitting them to someone else, it, it changes my conscious relationship with them. And then when the opportunity to act out again arises, I'm much less likely to do it. It seems to be a lock in the door. No one knows why the lock is there, but the, 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 that's, that, that's the key in the lock. And I'll give you some examples. So as from an anon point of view, when I look at the defects I inherited from my father, uh, who was maybe an addict, we're not sure. Uh, he was pretty old when I was born and he was even older when he died. Um, and it's all a long time ago. Uh, but his defects are very much the defects of the addict. Whether or not he was one, they are typical addict defects. Uh, from my poor old mother, who's still with us, uh, mercifully, I inherited all of the anon defects and they cluster round six words or phrases. The first one is impatience. No one can ever do anything quick enough or efficiently enough for me. Other people are supposed to be machine-like service providers, and I'm watching very carefully. If you don't do what you're supposed to do perfectly, effectively, efficiently, and harmoniously now, there's going to be a problem because I'm watching. Okay, impatience, intolerance. You're not allowed to have anything wrong with you. If you have something wrong with you, you need to get over it quick. If you can't get over it quick, um, then you need to shut up about it. Um, stop, stop, at least have the grace to keep it to yourself or go away. You know, intolerance, not very good with other people's defects, probably because I'm not very good with my own condemnation. If you want me to judge something or criticize something, I'm your man. Just give me a call, set out the situation and just pray. It's, it's like pressing play. There we go. And there's no stop button. Um, it's only if the cassette tape gets mangled does it stop. Um, so impatience, intolerance, condemnation, dread. Uh, my friend Tom says, uh, why dread forever? Why not dread one day at a time? And the thing about dread, my dread has got nothing to do with whether or not there is something to dread. I've already decided to dread. And the question is, what is there to dread? And if I can't find a major thing, I'll find a minor thing. And the minor thing expands to the shape and size left by the major thing that's just been solved. So solving problems doesn't help with dread because you'll only find something else. Uh, so we've got impatience, intolerance, condemnation, dread. Um, perfectionism. Um, that's the idea that life should be like a sort of doll's house where everything is small and perfectly arranged and nothing is alive. That's my idea. That's my ego's idea of perfection. Human beings are messy and they mess with this idea of perfection. And also being driven, the last one is being driven, this sense of entitlement to be everything to everyone to be the solution to all problems to be the perfect multitasker to be the spinner of plates and these six character defects are impatience intolerance condemnation dread perfectionism and drivenness um they're so pervasive in the world certainly around me you kind of forget that they're even defects they're just the way they're just how to behave you know you look on facebook and you'll see a lot of those six going on one way or another you look at linkedin and you know drivenness you see the raw ambition on that um i need to if i'm gonna change 
I need to be talking about those. That's why I'm talking about those now, because those defects need to go. If I don't talk, if I don't reveal what's going on, um, I'm just going to keep repeating what I'm doing. That's why I need step five. Um, more than most people, the alcoholic leads a double life. He is very much the actor. To the outer world, he presents his stage character. This is the one he likes his fellows to see. He wants to enjoy a certain reputation, but knows in his heart he doesn't deserve it. The inconsistency is made worse by the things he does on his sprees. Coming to his senses, he is revolted at certain episodes he vaguely remembers. These memories are a nightmare. He trembles to think someone might have observed him. As fast as he can, he pushes these memories far inside himself. He hopes they will never see the light of day. He is under constant fear and tension, and that makes for more drinking. So this split personality thing, uh, again, I can have as an anon, I can be, you know, super sweet at the meeting, sharing, you know, uh, in an enlightening and witty way. And then I get home and I'm just beastly to people. and the guilt about being beastly to people makes me be beastly to people because I have to make them wrong to make me less wrong. If I think there's something wrong with me, I can't stand that. So I have to make you wrong. I don't know if you've ever spotted that in yourself. When you feel guilty, you're more likely to attack other people. Uh, if you see something wrong inside yourself, you start to see something wrong inside someone else. It's only my ego that can see your ego. So there's a there's a there's an inconsistency there. And again, it's only by revealing getting all of this stuff out that I can bring the two characters together and be a whole person. Uh, when it says that makes for more drinking, let's just briefly detour to answer the question on to what does sobriety look like for an anon? Um, I I think I'd sum it up in my case. People will have different definitions, but summed up by four things. First of, first of all, uh, being courteous, um, giving people space, um, not being a bully or a, or, a, or a bulldozer, being temperate, which means I think before I speak and I, I don't exaggerate, I don't distort. I don't minimize. I just say things how, as they are. You want to be a, a glass of cool water. So courteous, temperate, um, boundaried. So knowing where I stop uh, and where the other person starts, not getting, keeping my wind out of other people's sails and keeping their wind out of my sails. Um, there was a fourth one. Let me just look it up. My mind goes blank just at the wrong moment. Courteous, discreet. Discreet. Um, part of my. Part of my anoniness. Oh, there's a problem. Oh, there we go. It's showing up. Part of my anoniness is. Anonism is mentally cataloguing what's wrong with everyone else and then finding someone to tell it's no fun having all that material. What's the point in the material unless you're publishing it? Um, so to me, that sobriety is those four things being discreet, being courteous, being boundary, being temperate. I'm a little way of the way towards that just so you know um next bit psychologists are inclined to agree with us we have spent thousands of dollars for examinations we know but few instances where we have given these doctors a fair break we have seldom told them the whole truth nor have we followed their advice unwilling to be honest with these sympathetic men we are honest with no one else small wonder many in the medical profession have a low opinion of alcoholics and their chance for recovery Psst. That applies to us too. We must be entirely honest with somebody if we expect to live long or happily in this world. Rightly and naturally, we think well before we choose the person 
or persons with whom to take this intimate and confidential step. Those of us belonging to a religious denomination which requires confession must and of course will want to go to the properly appointed authority whose duty it is to receive it. Though we have no religious connection, we may still do well to talk with someone ordained by an established religion. We often find such a person quick to see and understand our problem. Of course, we sometimes encounter people who do not understand alcoholics. Now, all of that's very plain. There are a couple of points here. Person or persons. When I take step five, I share the material with two or three people. When I have a problem in my life, I've got a list of seven people I go to six or seven people I go to. And sometimes if it's a persistent or deep problem, I will go to all of them. Um, why, why not just one person? I don't know why, but once I've shared the material with two people, three people, four people, I'm more free. How free do you want to be? You're still embarrassed? Share it again. You will come to a point where you're no longer embarrassed. You want to run around thinking there's only one person that can know your secrets. That's like that's you still have the secrets. in. if you're still worried about what people might think. Now, of course, you don't cast the pearls before swine. There's no point in uh, sharing it with people who are going to be reacting out of their own unprocessed stuff. So you've, you want to find someone that's pretty processed, down to earth has a sense of humor, has done this process themselves. That's why you can do it with someone of religion, but unless they have done a, a step four, and unless they've done a step four in accordance with the big book, they're not going to understand what you've written, not fully, not from the point. Of, and, and the point of step five is identification. The reason um, it's so healing in my experience is because the other person afterwards is still happy to go and have a pizza with you, even though they know everything and they're not being paid to be nice. If it's a person of religion, if it's a therapist, they're paid to be nice. Uh, if it's a therapist, even more directly, if if they if they say get out of my office, they're the ones that lose. That there's a, there's a vested interest in in keeping you buttered up. People in, in, in recovery have no interest in buttering you up. So if they're being nice to you, it's because it's real. Um, and the thing which heals as well is, is the fact that we're joining a club, really, by sharing our step five, a club of people who've also shared their secrets. Um, I can see that someone else is OK despite their secrets. And in step five, someone sees that I'm OK, despite my secrets and defects and so on. Um, if we cannot or would not rather do this, we search our acquaintance for a closed mouthed. That means they don't uh, uh, initiate, collect or retail gossip. An understanding friend, yet maybe maybe someone is sometimes it can it can strain a friendship. I'm a little bit careful. I prefer people with some distance. I've got a best friend who I share stuff with, but other friends, no. Uh, I accept some people who are 25, 30 years sober, uh, but I'm careful that I've got a, some distance really helps. So I, like friendly old timers you see once every two months, they're good people to do step fives with. You've seen them enough to know that they're not schmucks, but, um, you're not seeing them every week. So, you know, if you see them and you're embarrassed, it's probably going to be two months before you'll see them again and you'll get over it by then. Perhaps our doctor or psychologist will be the best person. It may be one of our own family. Third cousins and more distant, no closer than a third cousin. It's, again, it's not someone you want to be seeing at all the weddings. Um, but we cannot disclose anything to our wives or our parents, which will hurt them and make them unhappy. We have no right to save our own skin at someone else's expense. Such parts of our story we tell to someone who will understand yet be unaffected. The rule is we must be hard on ourselves. That means in terms of disclosing everything, but always considerate of others. So briefly, uh, don't share your inventory about someone to the person. If you've got a problem with your sponsor, can it 
find someone else to share it with, preferably someone who knows them and can help you work around their quirks. Don't, I mean, don't even tell your sponsor that you have a resentment against them, but you're working on it with someone else. They don't need the information. There is no file. They write that in. So just <laughs> sponsors are human beings too, you know, appearances notwithstanding. Um, notwithstanding the great necessity for discussing ourselves with someone, it may be, it may be one is so situated that there is no suitable person available. If that is so, this step may be postponed only, however, if we hold ourselves in complete readiness to go through with it at the first opportunity. We say this because we are very anxious that we talk to the right person. It is important that he be able to keep a confidence that he fully understand and approve what we're driving at, that he will not try to change our plan. But we must not use this as a mere excuse to postpone. Couple of things. When you ask someone to do a step five, get clear in advance what's going to happen. Some people just want to listen and, do, and knit whilst you're sharing. Other people will want to get in there and wrestle every detail to the ground, find out what you're in for, by asking someone and check with yourself and your higher power whether you're okay with that. If you just want someone to listen, you don't want feedback, that's fine. I don't like feedback in a step five. I don't think it's the place for it for, for me. Uh, that that if I unless I'm actively seeking, if I have open questions, then I ask. Um, other people, they totally want feedback. Some people, when they hear a step five, won't be passive. Uh, other people insist on being so get clear what's going to happen and also you don't want someone that's going to tell you you did your step four all wrong and say oh i need to sponsor you now this is what we're going to do counterproductive um when we decide who is to hear our story we waste no time we have a written inventory and we are prepared for a long talk one we explain to our partner what we're about to do and why we have to do it um he should realize that we are engaged upon a life and death errand, most people in approached in this way will be glad to help, they will be honored by our confidence. We pocket our pride and go to it, illuminating every twist of character, every dark cranny of the past. Twists of character, that's our defects of character, that's our shortcomings, they're the same. So basically, you go to the third column of the resentment inventory. What are the main demands? You look at the character defects that you learn from the page 67 questions. The fear inventory is short. Read the whole thing out. The sex inventory. What are the patterns? Anyone else you've harmed? Boom, you're done. Uh, with each defect of character, Tom says, if you're a thief in step five, you say, I'm a thief. You don't need to list an inventory every single thing that you stole. Step four is the preparation for step five. Step five is not read out your step four. It's you're giving an executive summary. You want to be able to walk around the entire problem in 40 minutes to two hours max. Every dark cranny of the past, nasty things that happened to you, nasty things you did, other weird little secrets, you know, things you set fire to, things you wore you shouldn't have worn, um, little things you stole and thought no one would notice embarrassing moments which mean nothing but you remember them 30 years later that stuff once we have taken this step withholding nothing we're delighted we can look the world in the eye we can be alone at perfect peace and ease our fears fall from us we begin to feel the nearness of our creator we may have had certain spiritual beliefs but now we begin to have a spiritual experience the feeling that the drink problem has disappeared will often come strongly we feel we're on the broad highway walking hand in hand with the spirit of the universe don't expect this instantly you may get it instantly it may come later so don't ask for your money back if you don't feel like that the next day it doesn't always work like that spiritual timetables are if you think the time if you think the buses are irregular where you live spiritual timetables are even worse Re returning home we find a place where we can be quiet for an hour carefully reviewing what we have done we thank god from the bottom of our heart that we know him better taking this book down from our shelf we turn to the page which contains the 12 steps that's page 59 Carefully reading the first five proposals, that's the first five steps. Bill likes to use variation. 
carefully reading the first five proposals, we ask if we've omitted anything, for we are building an arch through which we shall walk a free person at last. Is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skimped on the cement put into the foundation? Have we tried to make mortar without sand? What he means is just, you know, do you still buy step one? Do you still buy step two? Do you have any reservations about step three? Did you miss anything in step four? Did you miss anything in step five? Have a pen and a piece of paper, write it down, phone your sponsor, then you're done. So that's the end of that's the end of step five. I'm going to get other people to share it now. Uh, we've got until 11 o'clock. So um, uh, a few minutes each. Uh, Osha, would you like to come in and share? Hi, everyone. I'm Osha. I'm a member of Al-Anon. Thanks so much, Tim. Um, I jotted down a few things. Um, many i've done a few uh step five thank god been very blessed by it and i'll tell you about some of them um and just a few years ago when i did a step five it was the first time that i really sat down with higher power and did the part of admitting to higher power and it was a very very powerful experience i just sat down with my um four step and um uh, in a place that that i um feel connected to, to higher power, especially. It happens to be outdoors and so on. And um, it, it, it was really a wonderful experience that, that I, I highly recommend um, not to forget because uh, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on admitting it to another person. Um, um, so the first time I did a, a, a fifth step, my sponsor cried, and that was very difficult for me uh, and brought up a lot of feelings for me as a newcomer. I didn't really know how to deal with it. Um, I didn't really understand why she was crying. I wasn't. It, it didn't mean very much to me. Um, the second time I, I did it with my best friend at the time, who was also someone in program, and it was an amazing experience because of something that, that Tim talked about, right, which was um, we were we were at a, a convention for another 12-step program, and uh, I shared my fifth step. She knew I was going to, you know, we had planned that. And then we went down to the beach together, and then we went to the rest of the convention. And, you know, I felt loved and accepted no matter what after everything I had shared. Um, um, over time, the fifth step has become less of a big deal, if that makes any sense. I'm much more even keel about it. Um, you know, I, I, I learned that it's a means by which I start to see patterns um, of how my ego and my, disease, my, my family disease of alcoholism gets in there in order to separate me from my higher power. And so there's a lot less emotionality in it. Um, and the whole issue of what does sobriety look like for an Al-Anon, um, I came to Al-Anon, I didn't know it at the time, but I really came to Al-Anon and now I stay in Al-Anon and all these years uh, in Al-Anon, I, I stay so, so, so as to stop the pain. Um, and, and, and what is that pain? Um, for, for me, it's, it's the pain that led me to act in ways that I am um, uh, embarrassed by, to act in ways that I feel guilty about, to, um, to be completely irrational and insane, um, to not be true to myself, to, I mean, the list goes on and on. And I basically learned what that looks like doing step one and really taking a look at you know what are the characteristics that show that i am an al-anon is it it's not because i grew up in an alcoholic home but rather because of the um reactions that i have um to other people to situations to myself to higher power um and if you'd like feel free to contact me i'll give you some some um pages in the Al-Anon literature that are helpful to me in um, really kind of uh, setting forth everything that Tim said, and, and, and I experienced everything that Tim shared as well, as to, you know, what are the characteristics essentially of, of an Anon. Um, the, the promises in step five are absolutely amazing. If you haven't taken some time to sit down and review them, um, they're, they're some of the most beautiful promises that we have. 
And um, I have experienced that they do come true. Um, later on in the book, we'll read sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly. I, I tend to be a sometimes slowly. Um, so if you are to keep, keep coming back, it's worth it. Um, and the last thing I wanted to share was um, the idea of having lived a double life. Um, you know, I, I never wanted to be like my mother who was the alcoholic in our family, still is. And um, uh, because she was, we never know who, who we were going to meet, right? Like we never knew if it was going to be the um, screaming drunk who embarrassed us in front of our friends when we were growing up or if we were going to meet the um, I love you, sit down, tell me how you are, right? Um, um, kind of more, more sane person. And I never wanted to be like her and I found myself exactly like her. And, um, and I found myself exactly like her because I, I, even in recovery, completely could have, you know, one tone of voice for speaking with a sponsee on the phone and another tone of voice with my kids or another tone of voice with other people that I might have an intimate, um, more intimate relationship with or um, an employee at work, you know, and, um, and, and it's, I, I'm so grateful to, to be experiencing in this program um, a merging of my insides and my outsides, you know, or being able to feel certain things on my insides and being able to make choices with regard to what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking and so on as to whether or not I want to show that on the outside and, and having conscious choices rather than just constantly reaction, reacting and having no idea uh, what's going on. So thanks. Thank you. Uh, Sarah Rivka, would you like to share? Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Rivka. I'm a great, grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. Um, thank you so much, Tim uh, and Osha. Thank you uh, for amazing, amazing shares, amazing information. Um, I found that the promises, the, promise, the, the fifth step promises came true for me in the middle of the fourth step. Um, when I was absolutely so devastated by the reality of who I was and how I was behaving that I had already, a lot of it was removed and I started to feel those feelings and it got just stronger as I did the fifth step. I was terrified of my sponsor. Um, she didn't say a word. She cleaned her house. I, I was privileged to meet with her in person and she cleaned her entire house. What um, total spring cleaning including her drawers and other stuff. And I followed her around and I just read what I wrote. Um, she had, she had a, a, a policy. She said to me, you're going to have resentments against me and I want you to write them down and you will read them to me during the fifth step. And she said, if you don't have a resentment against me by the time we're done with this, she said, then you're not doing something right. <laughs> And I was so petrified of that. I saved that for last. Um, and you know what? It was very freeing because I, I knew that she wasn't taking it personally. She was expecting it. And she, she explained some of the things that I resented that, um, oh, they were ridiculous. Like I resented her boyfriend for not introducing her to his children. It's so none of my business. Um, and she explained to me that that was actually a good thing for their relationship. They got to know each other. You know, she had like, and, and my whole, something shifted in my worldview because when, when she told me about that, I realized that probably all the rest of my resentments, I mean, I already knew, I already knew they were all ridiculous. Most of them were quite ridiculous, but, but that just, it deepened it. And, um, and so I do the same thing with my sponsees. I tell them, you're going to have resentments against me. I want to hear them. I'm never surprised by what they are. And um, that gives them the opportunity to then later do uh, step nine with me, which I always receive in a very loving way. And, um, you know, to practice sort of like role playing almost because we both know what's going to be said. Um, I have found myself over the phone crying when I when I hear someone else's fifth step because um 
I, I cry for them. I cry for their pain and it triggers my own pain. And it's some like really deep and heavy stuff and, uh, and very painful. In it. And today I have empathy for other people. And so it touches me and I'm, I'm glad that it's over the phone because I don't want to impose my feelings on them, but I, I, I have cried. And, um, and the other thing that I want to say is it's, occasionally happened to me that someone has discussed an issue that was too upsetting for me and I wasn't able to hear it. And, um, and as lovingly as possible, I stopped them and I said, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I can't listen to this. And I found them somebody else. I said that part, please, you know, this is a great person to read it to. They can help you. I can't help you with that. And it's not out of judgment in any way. Cause I, I, when that has happened, I have really, really felt a lot of love for that person, but I felt like a wall come down, like, in, you know, like in a movie when someone's trying to get into a bank or something and a wall, like this big metal wall just like comes down. And, and I'm not that person for that. And I don't know why, but I, I trust it. And, um, and setting a boundary in that way has not affected uh, my relationship. So I'll, I'll end with that, but it's, it, I just say that it's, it's a privilege. It's an honor and a privilege to hear somebody's fifth step. And every time I've done it, it's, it's, I feel so blessed. And at that moment, I actually know that I'm really doing God's will for me. You know, other times I'm going to the supermarket. I'm, is that God's will for me? Now, I don't know. But when I'm listening to a fifth step, 100%, I'm sure that that is God's will for me in that moment. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to suggest we reduce to four minutes now. Uh, Ellie Sheva, would you like to share? Ellie Sheva, would you like to come in? Uh, I think okay, hi. Do you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Okay. Hi, my name is Ellie Sheva. I'm a member of SNN and Al-Anon. In the beginning in the big book, it's, of step five, it says we've been trying to get a new attitude, a new relationship with our creator. So one of the attitudes that I came to program with about God was that God's a punishing God. And he placed me in a family with addiction and anonism, and God's the cause of all my pain. And through working the fourth step, I realized that it's my distorted thinking that's the obstacle and led me to, to feeling pain. And as I was doing the fourth step, I became willing to adopt a new attitude that perhaps God is not a punishing God, but a loving God. And in the fifth step, sharing my old beliefs out loud to others made the old attitudes and old beliefs seem even more ridiculous. And that strengthened my resolve to change my attitude towards God. I worked the steps with three different sponsors over the years. And each time I chose to read my, my fourth step to my sponsor. This past time around, my sponsor suggested that I do my fifth step with five other people that he chose. I didn't know any of them, and I was very overwhelmed at the, at the thought of reading my step four to five people I didn't know. But I, I really wanted what my sponsor has, so I was willing to do what my sponsor suggested. And I had also made a decision that I'm willing to endure being uncomfortable in order to recover. Um, my sponsor suggested that I get in touch with them, either through email or WhatsApp, and tell them who I am and ask them if they were willing to listen to my fourth step and to ask them for feedback. And the whole process took a few weeks. I'm the queen of decluttering. If something's not in constant use, I get rid of it. But the pages that I took notes on from the feedback that I got from these five people, I kept. And I go back and I read it every so often and I find that it always meets me where I am. I always get something out of rereading these pages and they're very valuable to me. Um, when I sat down to do the fifth step with the last person, I literally felt as if I can read my step five over the PA system of the community I lived in. I no longer had any shame about my past. I realized that I'm on a journey. I'm doing the best I can. Um, and I, I, there's no need to feel embarrassed or feel shame for my past. When I started the process of the fifth step, I was really scared. Uh, when I finished, I found that I was really relaxed in body and mind. And I started to remember secrets that I hadn't written down. Um, and I, after I found that the people that I read my step four to were loving and accepting, I, I allowed myself to see more, I guess. And so I called a few of them up and shared what had come up. 
I found I find today that when a character defect comes up or I get back into this loop thinking, when I call someone, I found that there's power when I say something out loud and there's even more power when someone else hears it. And sometimes just sharing it helps it go away. The love and acceptance that I received from the people that I did my fifth step with helped me realize that I am lovable and their acceptance helped me accept myself. And a few months ago, I listened to Svansi step five and after she finished reading me her secret, she asked me, Elisheva, do you still love me? And I laughed and I said, of course, I still love you. And one of the gifts and program was that I was able to start accepting other people's love. I was able to feel my own love and I was able to share with other people that I love them, which is something that I hadn't been able to do beforehand. Um, when I read my step four, when I did my, as I did my step four, I had read it to my sponsor. So step five took about 20 minutes. When I listen to someone else's fifth step that's not a sponsee, I ask them uh, if they don't ask specifically for feedback, I don't give them feedback. I learned here not to answer questions that weren't asked. Um, but if someone does want uh, feedback, then I'll set a, we'll set a time and we'll do about an hour. And if it takes more than that, then we'll meet for another hour afterwards at another time. Um, I find that when people do want feedback and we talk things through as we go along, there's a lot of laughter. It's not, it's, it's a serious business, but it's not this heaviness that it used to be in the past. And then I'll share some of the things that I identify with. And it's always really a beautiful experience. Um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Uh, Emma, would you like to share? Um, hi, I'm Emma, a grateful member of Essanon. Um, I, um, I'm really grateful for all these shares. Um, for me, it really was about putting myself down on paper, warts and all, sharing the info from the fifth step. Uh, I love the title into action because it actually made me feel like I was doing something. Um, I was unblocking myself and I think that's my big thing. Unblocking myself, um, I'm connected to God. And and I and I kept putting stuff in the way. Um, I heard a talk recently by a guy called Charlie Harari, and he was uh, he was he he gave a class and he described a friend who was working away a lot, and he had a 17 year old kid who kept butting heads with everyone, including his wife and his uh, everything, everybody he was butting heads with. And when COVID came, the father wasn't able to travel, and he started to be home 24 seven. And suddenly he was spending time with his kid and laughing with his kid at dinner and playing basketball outside. And they spent time together and the connection grew. Um, they weren't butting heads so much anymore. And the dad in the story told Charlie Arreri that his kid saw he loved him and showed him there was that he was there for him and saw him. He was present and right there in the relationship. Um, he'd unblock the channels between them. And to me, that's what the fifth step really is about. It's um, it's seeing God is there. He loves me. And just like the dad, when I'm there really looking for him, when I see him and I see his presence, I don't need to put a lot of the things in the in the way of the relationship that I did before. Um, I shared my fifth step with my sponsor uh, by going along along the way with her and two other people. I can see that if I tried to do it alone, I wouldn't have been able to see anything. I tried for years to figure out what was going on for me. Um, and even when I was doing the fourth step, there were things that needed pointing out even more so as I went as I went along for my sponsor. I think possibly, you know, trying to see self-seeking and selfish ways really is difficult for me when I'm so self-seeking and self-centered. Um, having people who have done it before was awesome and who'd use the big book. That was a big deal for me. Um, they had to be in recovery and they were, it was an incredible experience. I am incredibly grateful. I heard that that uh, spiritual mind is needed. That's where I need to try and see things as God would have me see them, not as I see them. It's a change in perspective. And I needed the help of these people, these other amazing women to help me see clearly. As I heard the, their remarks and thoughts, I, I saw the truth in it. And maybe that spiritual experience 101, I'm not sure. Um, when I met in the cafe. And whilst everyone else was eating and I had a dry mouth and terrible stomach ache, I shared my uh, my fifth step out loud to her. Her kindness, her tolerance, her love was was just awesome. Um, when I shared the stuff which was deeply soul bearing, she shared her stuff, too. 
And somehow that helped me trust the process and realize that I'm really not so different to everyone else. And knowing that was a big deal for me. Um, I'm deeply grateful for for this. Um, I'm deeply grateful for the experience. And and yeah, I did cry and I um, and I had to face things in that moment that were difficult for me. And I think that possibly that was a beautiful thing for me. Um, there was a lot of laughter, too, um, especially when she resonated with something I said. Um, when I walked out of that cafe, <clears throat> the world was a little bit sharper. I don't know why. Um, I kind of felt a little bit high and I felt connected to God in a way I don't think I've ever experienced before in my life. I've been told over and over, I'm only as sick as my secrets. When I shared my secrets the first time with my sponsor, again, my mouth was dry, my stomach hurt, but you know what? I told her everything and there was a shame and embarrassment about some things and she was so kind and she shared some of her own stuff and she challenged some of the things I'd said and said, maybe they're not so much secrets. Um, I'm forever grateful to her. Um, by the time I shared those secrets with two other people, they're really not so secretive anymore. And they don't really have the same effect on me, even when I think of them in my mind. I no longer want to live a life uh, where I'm this double life, showing the world I'm one thing. Um, I'm not perfect. That's a wonderful thing to be able to say out loud. I'm not perfect and I don't have to be. I need to get real, get humble, clean house. And I couldn't do this any other way but this way. I've heard some people say that they wanted to hang on to some of their things. To me, I couldn't do that. I had to get rid of everything. Um, I was only, I was on holiday in Rome once and they had a VR camera. You put it on your eyes and I, um, and I could see that I was really in ancient Rome. I was, I was there. I thought that's where I was. Um, I was really present. I was truly believing I was back there. But when I took the VR glasses off, the world was sharper again. Why? Because for me, reality, the real right here, right now has potential. And when I'm in my head, I don't really believe it has any potential. I've been privileged to hear a number of fifth steps too. And there are deeply spiritual experiences hearing someone else's. Uh, God is really present and I'm grateful to give back what I have been given. It's humbling. I too share parts of my story with them and we laugh. And it's really something that gives me goosebumps. Um, on Tim's blog, he talks about the fifth step and he talks about being in a haunted ghost train. And I really feel that if anybody can read that, you should read it, um, that I was no longer haunted by a lot of my past. I felt so much freer. I, I don't have to do this perfectly. I just had to get it out. I had to try my best, be there, be present, bring God in. And I feel this process helps me get to know God. I'm learning about what's blocking me. I'm learning how to connect to him with awareness, with prayer, with forgiveness, service, lots of service. And I'm trying to go forward in my spiritual life, trying to be closer and more connected. And this process, it unlocks me and it unblocks me. Um, and I get in touch with my relationship with God. Um, like the father in the story, I'm more connected to him because he's here and he's present. I sometimes really feel that I'm, I'm there and I'm talking to him. When I see him in my life, um, the more I spend time with him, uh, the more I remove the blockages um, and I feel him that deep down inside, I stop butting heads with him and I see him as he is, my present loving father. To me, that's the point of this, to feel God, be connected as best I can and this process helps. So I'm incredibly grateful for this process. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Uh, Evan, would you like to share? Hello, I'm Evan, grateful recovering and on. Um, well, thank you everybody for your shares. Um, so, getting all my stuff out uh, during my, my fifth step um, was, as I mentioned, was a very cathartic uh, process. Um, stuff that I had never told anybody, stuff that I'd never, uh, never shared. Um, and then once I had gotten over that, um, I really was able to share a lot of this stuff over again and to the point where um, I was able to then uh, start using all of those things, uh, the pain, the, the embarrassment, the, the difficult situations that I'd gone through in my life um, 
to look at them from being, change them from being a burden to being uh, a resource um, that I could look back and I could see um, that these are things that helped me grow into the person that I am um, and where they pushed me in a negative direction and how I could then use them to, uh, to move myself in a positive direction. Uh, where I could use them as a way to be more empathic, to be more um, accepting of others, to be more uh, willingness to to let go and let God and, and forgive, understanding that uh, whatever anybody else has done to me or is going through, um, first of all, it's almost zero chance that it really has much to do with me. Um, they're all working through their own uh, their own issues, and I happen to be standing there. Um, a lot of that came to me, obviously, with the, with some guidance from my, my sponsor. But as I looked through the wreckage of my past, and I went through the wreckage of my past with my sponsor, um, I was able to see all these things, and um, again, take what were up until that point in my mind, purely negative events and uh, transfer them, transmogrify them as it were, into really positive events. And, and to be able to see that all these things in my past were were really God's, God giving me blocks to stand on, to, to lift myself up. And it was only my attitude and, and my judgment about those things that that made me see them as negative um <clears throat> and i guess that brings me to what's what for me uh i guess is the this, my sobriety definition as an anon um i know before started working a program um i had to fix everything and everybody and i, I was never able to leave anybody alone and i had a solution to everybody's problem and I actively went out and provided solutions to everybody's problem, no matter if they wanted those problems, no one of those things fixed or not. So the first and the biggest part of, of, of my non sobriety, as it were, is I don't fix things people don't ask me to fix. Um, uh, once in a while, I can offer, um, but even then, it's uh I, I make the offer and uh again none of us have our can, can do these things perfectly and I, I do slip occasionally but but that's really the main my main main issue uh, and the next thing is um I, i've reduced my expectations of other people uh mostly in the field that they will give me the recognition that I think I deserve. So um, if I do stuff around the house, I don't expect my wife to, to shower me with praise that I did the dishes or I put away the laundry or whatever it is. Um, I appreciate it when, when I do get it, but I don't look for it and I don't, I don't expect it. Um, so as long as, and I try to, uh, expand that into the rest of my life and, and just getting rid of those those expectations of other people. And again, that has a lot to do with this, this change in attitude that I got from, from doing my fifth step. Um, that I don't expect things from others, which, says, which on the other hand, um, I try to give them as much as I can um, and give as much gratitude, show as much gratitude and praise as I can. But it's a one-way street for me. I give and I don't expect in return. Um, so I, I, would, cause I was able to see during my, my fifth step that so much of my life, um, so many of my resentments came from this, this, this place of look how much I do and nobody gives me any respect or, or any, any gratitude or any, uh, appreciation, which obviously wasn't true. Uh, that was just because that was what my mindset was that I'm not getting it. Um, so yeah, I think I'll leave it there that, uh, 
if I can make those changes based on my, my fifth step, so I can see where my attitudes got me. It wasn't circumstances that, that got me where I was with my attitudes about them and how I changed those attitudes and, uh, and move forward. So thank you. Thank you very much. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for. Our next session is on step six and seven next Sunday. There will be no workshop on the 20th of September, the 4th of October or the 11th of October due to religious holidays. If you don't have a religious holiday, then you're missing out. Uh, please unmute if you care to and help me close with the serenity prayer. God, God.